Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. Well, good evening. Thank you for tuning in with us again tonight as we begin uh, to get back into our study of the attributes of God. We're in the series that we have entitled, What is God Like? The, a Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. It's been a little while since we've been able to do this, and though we would all prefer to be here together, um, gathered as one, studying about the Lord, um, this will do for the meantime. And let's be thankful that we still have the opportunity to study in some capacity and still receive the word in some capacity. So with that being said, let me just uh, refresh our memories that in, in this study, we're not as we begin to study the, the attributes of God, we're, we're not interested in just head knowledge regarding the Lord. We don't want to just know about God. We want to know God, and we do that through the study of his attributes. It's no secret that, uh, especially in times like the ones that we are in, that what we believe about God is of utmost importance to us, especially with the world in utter disarray as it is, what you believe about God really, really, really matters. In 2 Peter 3.18, he tells us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what we intend to do with this study. Now, tonight, the next attribute that we're going to be looking at is the sovereignty of of God. Let me be the first to admit that this is a challenging attribute to look at. It is going to challenge your, your thinking. It's going to challenge what you have always believed about God in some instances. And um, so with that in mind, what we're going to be doing is taking it slow. Uh, this might end up being a um, three-part um, study just on the sovereignty of God. Uh, we're, we're certainly going to be looking to at least do two studies um, on the sovereignty of God. So tonight and then next Wednesday, at least, we might go a third Wednesday, just depending on how um, much traction we're making, depending on if I can get to the point or not. Um, so that's what we're going to do. And though this is a difficult attribute to study, Whenever we grasp his sovereignty and begin to understand his sovereignty, for the child of God, there is no greater attribute of God than to know that he's sovereign, that he's in control at all times. Um, some have said that uh, God's sovereignty is God's favorite attribute about himself, and that if you were God, it would be your favorite attribute as well. So, with that in mind, we're going to read just a, a brief verse 
We're not going to expound this verse, but just kind of to uh, point our minds in the right direction. Psalm 103, verse 19. This is the word of God. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Let's pray. O sovereign God, how we need you in this hour, certainly in any hour, but even more so now, God. Lord, I pray that you speak to us through your word, Father. I pray that I would not share human wisdom or my own opinions or my own thoughts, Lord, but that I would only speak what is right and what is true, Lord, and that through this message, God, through these studies of your attributes, Lord, that we would come to know you intimately, not just knowing about you, but to know you personally, Father. Lord, I, we need you. We need your spirit, Lord, and we trust, God, that you will do this, that you will accomplish this this evening. We thank you. We praise you. We pray for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, allow me to make a few statements uh, by way of preface this evening. I, I want you to know that I do not take this lightly, and neither should you. This is a big subject, and, and honestly, this is a topic that many people will disagree on because whenever we look at what Scripture says about God's sovereignty— our flesh wants to revolt against it. So, let's not take this lightly. Um, that is also why we're going to be moving slow. Tonight, we're really just going to be looking to define um, his sovereignty and kind of um, get an understanding of that. Now, as for how we ought to think about this and approach it, we cannot approach any understanding of God or his attributes uh, with our human natural mind. That is to say, don't try to understand his attributes just based off of your own understanding or your own experience or some things that you grew up believing. What we need to do in, in studying his attributes and looking at who he is is, is to have Faith and to be very prayerful and ask God to give us the grace of understanding. Remember Romans 8 7, it says that the mindset of the flesh is enmity with God, it's hostile towards Him. So we do not agree in our flesh with His ways or with His motives, or, or not necessarily His motives, but we don't agree with, with the way that He does things sometimes. In our flesh. This is why we must be transformed by the renewing of the mind and have the mindset of Christ among us. We must start with God and not with man. See, we, like I'm to reiterate, we can't start with our own personal experience or with our opinion or certainly not with our feelings. Uh, not even just natural human reason. See, God defies human reason. God defies human thinking. God defies our limited, finite understanding. 
Indeed, as he says himself, his ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. So let us approach this study humbly, confessing that we are limited in our thinking and ask God to give us the grace of understanding this evening and as we move forward. So let's begin with God and let's refresh our foundation. You see, it is right and good that we have laid a foundation already of some of God's other attributes, his eternality, his self-sufficiency, the fact that he is spirit, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his unchanging nature, and yes, even his goodness. We've already studied all of these attributes, and it's going to be important that we call to mind all of these attributes as we consider the sovereignty of God. Listen, if God truly is eternal, self-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, unchanging, and good, then it stands to reason that he must also be sovereign. Since he's all-powerful, since he's all-knowing, he possesses all power. He possesses all knowledge. He's everywhere at once. He's eternal. None is like God. He must be sovereign. So, what is sovereignty, you might be asking. You've heard the term, and uh, this past Sunday, if you were tuning in with us, we we gave a very brief description, but tonight we're going to go in um, depth regarding this, uh, the definition of the sovereignty of God. But to state it simply, the sovereignty of God is God's right and ability to do all that he pleases when he pleases, and how he pleases. I'll say that again. The sovereignty of God, what we're saying is that God has the right and the ability to do all that he pleases, when he pleases, and however he pleases. It is the godness of God. It's what makes God, God. The fact that he's sovereign. In our, our English dictionary, it is described both as a noun and an adjective. So that means that it can be used as a title for someone, but it can also be used to describe someone. As a noun, it means a supreme ruler. As an adjective, it means possessing supreme or ultimate power. We find this to be true in what Scripture says, again, to reference what we talked about Sunday We learned that Lord, when it's in the Old Testament, and it's spelled with a capital L, small o-r-d, it is the Hebrew Adonai, and it means Lord or Master or Sovereign One. And whenever you see it in the New Testament, it is kudios, it is the Greek kudios, and it essentially has the same meaning. So you see, Scripture is using sovereignty, the sovereignty of God, the sovereign one, as his title. It's calling him the sovereign one. But Scripture also describes him as being sovereign or in control over everything. I'll reiterate the passage that we read at the beginning, Psalm 103, 19. 
that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. It's describing his sovereignty. Daniel 4, 35, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's a sovereign God. And then the Lord himself speaks in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Listen to this. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. What God is saying to us there is that he is the sovereign and he acts sovereignly. He is both the sovereign and he acts in a sovereign way, possessing all power. Again, the sovereignty of God is his right. It's the fact that he has the right and the ability to do all that he pleases, whenever he pleases, and however he pleases. We're going to explore these two words a bit tonight, um, the right and the ability. We're going to look at the right that God has to be sovereign and to do all that he pleases. So God's right, here's a challenging statement for you. Try to, try to understand this one. Before anything was, God was. Before everything, he was. That is to say that God existed before everything. And remember, I told you, you'll need to call to mind the attributes that we've studied already. And we looked at God's self-sufficiency and his eternality. We, and we learned that before anything was created, God was already there. Wherever there was, there wasn't really a there because God hadn't put it there. He hasn't created anything yet. So there isn't really a there, but God was there. Is that melting your mind a little bit? So let's try to imagine eternity past, before Genesis 1-1. The triune God already existed. Father, Spirit, Son, He already existed before time began. Before there was a somewhere, God was there. Before there was a time, God was there. Creation did not exist yet, except for in the mind of God. Notice the sovereignty of God before creation. He had the right to not create anything at all. God has no need of anything. He is self-sufficient. He could have existed all unto himself for all of eternity, and he'd have been perfectly content. He'd still be glorious. He'd still be high and lifted up. All of his perfections would be absolutely intact. He did decide, though, to create all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And notice the sovereignty of God being displayed in his right 
to do whatever he pleases. I can create or I can not create. He has no need to create. It is his prerogative. It is his option. It is his choice. He has the right to act as he pleases. Moreover, he didn't have to create creation the way that he did. We know that God did decide to create, and herein lies another exercise of his power, in that he could have gone in any direction with creation. Think about this. God had a blank canvas. There, there, nothing existed yet. He didn't have a, a preconceived idea based off of something that he had seen one time, the way that our artists do today. We have artists that can paint a beautiful picture and write wonderful music, and they're all drawing from previous experiences and things that they've seen before. But God had a completely blank canvas. There was nothing there. So it was entirely up to him what he wanted to do. Jeremiah 10, 12 it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Notice, it was his own wisdom. Thus, he could have done whatever he wanted. He was not compelled or being pushed in any direction by some outside force. It was entirely his choice. We could live in a world right now without a son. He didn't have to put birds to flight. He didn't have to create such a magnificent spectrum of species with different habitats and, and habits and life cycles. He could have made all humans to look exactly the same, or we could have been born without eyes and ears and mouths. Consider the rising and the setting of the sun. The Lord paints a beautiful picture with the sky as his canvas every single day. And he doesn't have to do that. It's his right. What about the planets in our own solar system? Have you ever considered the planets in our own solar system and how bizarre it is that they even exist? Why are they even there? Planets with varying sizes and unique characteristics the earth is so unique in our solar system in that we have a planet that can support and sustain life. We're the only one. Consider Saturn with its majestic rings fashioned of, of ice and dust and rock, or Mercury with its plasma tornadoes, Mars with its scenic desert landscapes and, and desert storms that would rival anything Lubbock, Texas has seen. Venus with its atmosphere made of thick carbon dioxide. Jupiter with its centuries-long storm raging inside of the famous red eye. Uranus with its freezing temperatures of several degree, hundred degrees below zero. Neptune with its blowing winds that leave even our fiercest tornadoes and hurricanes in the dust. All of these incredible works to behold and why. God didn't have to do it this way. He could have made the earth to exist in a box underneath his throne, yet he didn't. He was under no obligation whatsoever to do things as he did. 
So why did he do it this way? Let's let scripture speak here. Psalm 135, 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He did it this way because it was his right, and it pleased him to do it like this. The point being stressed here is that God was sovereign before creation, and as such, he continues to be sovereign over his creation. He was sovereign then. He is sovereign now. And he will continue on into all eternity future being sovereign. To say that he is sovereign is to say that he has the right and the ability to govern the whole of his creation, which he has made for his own glory, mind you, however he pleases. Indeed, it is the right of the potter to make of the clay whatever he desires, and then use that shaped clay to accomplish whatever he pleases. It's important that we understand that all that was created was not only created by God, but also for God. You'll remember from our study of Colossians, Colossians 1.16, that all things were created through him and for him. All things. That's not some things. That's everything. Everything that was created was created through him and for him. We have such a man-centered view of this world and even of God himself. We imagine a God who created this world out of, out of loneliness and need and despair and that he has sent his son to the cross to bear the sins of the world because he just thought that we were so fantastic he had to save us. This is not the message of scripture. Scripture unashamedly is constantly pointing to the truth that everything is about God. Everything is about him. It's not about you or I. Creation itself is about God. He created all that he created for his own good pleasure, for his own enjoyment, and for his own glory. Paul writes in Romans 9.11, Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use, and another for dishonorable use. Listen to that. Has the potter no right over the clay? What Paul is saying here is, God is the potter, everything else is the clay, and he can do whatever he pleases. He has the right, it's his prerogative. And as I was studying this topic, really struck me what a difference there is between the God of the Bible and the God of American churchianity. That God, that God in American churchianity, the God preached in most of the churches today, that God just wants you to be happy. He just wants you to win. 
He's more like your boxing trainer who's there just rooting you on, and he's there to give you some good tips on how to defeat your opponent the moment that you come to him. But it's really about you. It's your fight. It's your championship on the line. He's really just interested in hearing what you want to accomplish. And if you behave nicely, he just might give it to you. The God of American churchianity is totally okay with you just checking in with him from time to time. Just please pray before your meals. With this kind of God being served, it is no wonder why so many self-professing Christians are panicking in this hour. With this kind of God being served, it's, it's no wonder why so many self-professing Christians are bored with the scriptures and eventually fall away from the faith. This is no God at all. That is a needy, codependent idol, but it is not Yahweh. It is not Jehovah. It is not the God of the Bible. Listen, this God is sovereign in not only having the right to do as he pleases, but he also has the ability. He's not just asking nicely and saying, it would be nice if I could. No, God has the ability to act as he pleases. No other God has claim to that. Not Buddha, not Mohammed, not any other God. Only God Almighty has the ability to do as he pleases. For he is the living God. You see, all of us serve a God of some sort. But only this God that we're speaking of tonight, only he is the living God. Only he is Yahweh. Only he is El Shaddai. Only he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It is him and him alone. There's none like him. Do you know this God? For those of you who don't, you need to know that it is this God, this sovereign God, who promises for the wicked and the unbelieving, that they are condemned for their unbelief, as spoken in John 3.18. You see, this God has the right to call sin, sin, to determine what sin is. He has the right to determine what is displeasing to him. And he also has the ability to cast that which displeases him into the lake of fire. And see, all of us, apart from the perfect work of Christ, all of us stand before this sovereign God condemned with our mouths closed because there is nothing that we can say. There is nothing that we can do to stay his hand. And though he might grant us long years on this earth because that is his right and his prerogative, when we come to see him on judgment day, we will give an account for the deeds done in the body. 
And it is on that day that you will come to know exactly how sovereign this God is. But you see, you need to understand, if you're listening to this right now, and you are not in Christ, you need to understand that you and I, apart from him, stand condemned. We all have this sentence of death upon us. However, this sovereign God acted in love. He sent forth his own son because he had the right to do so. He sent forth his own son to walk this earth and live a perfect, blameless life. The life that you and I would never be able to live. This son, this Jesus Christ, was born fully God and fully man. And he went to the cross, a spotless, blameless sacrifice. And on that cross, he bore the sin of the world and absorbed the wrath that you and I had stored up for ourselves because of our sinfulness. And he did this because it was his right and he had the ability to do this. And on that cross, as Jesus Christ was standing in our place and he was absorbing that which was rightfully ours, he died. But he didn't stay dead. You see, not, not even death has a claim to the throne. Not even death can hold back or stay the hand of this sovereign God. No, he had the right and the ability to be raised back up from the dead. And then he ascended up to heaven where he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And you, if you will call upon him as Lord and repent of your sins. Repent of your independence of him. Put all of your faith in him, in his perfect work, and in the perfect person of Jesus Christ alone. This sovereign God promises that you'll be saved. Do not let another moment pass you by. We studied Isaiah 41.10 this past Sunday. And do you know why God can promise to never leave us? Why he can promise to strengthen us? Why he can promise to help us? Because he's sovereign. He can promise to never leave you because he's omnipresent. He can promise to strengthen you because he's omnipotent. He has all power. He can tell you not to fear because he's omniscient and he knows that you are prone to fear. He can tell you that he will help you and that he will hold you because he is sovereign and he has the right and the ability to do so. It is this God who promises in Romans 8.28 you know the verse, that all things work together for the good of his children. Do you know why you can stake your whole life on that promise? Because God is sovereign. It is this God who sent his son in love to the world so that those who would believe in him would have eternal life. And do you know why you can stake all of your eternity on that promise? 
Because God is sovereign. And he has the right and the ability to make good on his promises. And because God is sovereign, he does all that he pleases, when he pleases, and however he pleases. A.W. Pink says, Nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has eternally purposed. Here is a foundation of faith. Here is a resting place for the intellect. Here is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. It is not blind fate or unbridled evil, man or devil, but the Lord Almighty who is ruling the world, ruling it according to his own good pleasure and for his own eternal glory. Behold your God. Make sure that you tune in with us again next week for the second part as we begin to look at some of the implications in our lives of the sovereignty of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for showing us this beautiful truth. Lord, we, we praise you and we stand utterly speechless before a sovereign God. How immense your sovereignty is, Lord. How far reaching your control and your power and your authority are. There is truly none like you. And Lord, I pray that this message, Lord, that this be a comfort for your children. And I pray that those who do not know you and are not in Christ, Lord, that you sovereignly draw them into yourself. And may your name be glorified forever. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.